Amen. Well, like I said before, it's good to see people out, out there. I got a lot of compliments on my singing last week, Augie. Just wanted to let you know. So uh, I got some solos I'm working on. I'll get back to you on that and, you know, we'll, we'll talk later. Oh, it's good to be alive, isn't it, friends? Back in the saddle. So on this uh, first Sunday of Lent, we are going to embark on a journey alongside with a guy by the name of Simon Peter, who is one of Jesus' closest companions and friends uh, along the way. And we're going to look at his life and see how our story might connect with and fit in uh, with his story. This is not an official book series. Our church does every year we do kind of this book series. And uh, you may have gotten an email of someone talking about uh, a particular book. It's called Simon Peter, Flawed but Faithful Disciple. It's by Adam Hamilton. We're not really pushing the book so much, but we are kind of leaning on the book a little bit. Later on this year, we'll be doing a book series more officially, and we'll be distributing that and having people read that along with us. But there's no uh, need to have the book if uh, you want to continue to follow along. So Simon uh, is the son of Jonah, or Jonas, and later on Jesus renames him Peter, and Peter means rock. Now, if you had any nickname in the world, rock would not be uh, too bad of a nickname, would it? I, don't, I would not mind being uh, the rock myself. And yet, despite his name, Peter, being the rock, has a lot of foibles, doesn't he? His foibles are some of the most public in Scripture. He messes up again and again and again. He puts his foot in his mouth when he needs to be quiet. Um, and then there's other times when he should be speaking up, and yet he's too much of a coward to say what needs to be said. You know, this person with all his flaws is somebody that Jesus says, I want you to follow me. I want you to come along with me. I am inviting you on a journey. And I personally find Peter's flaws to be refreshing for me. For if Jesus accepts a guy like Peter, then maybe Jesus will accept and invite along the way a guy like Bailey. Perhaps you can say the same for yourself. None of us are too unfit to begin a journey with Jesus. It is not God, but it is the enemy who wants us to believe that we do not have what it takes to be a faithful disciple, that for some reason we are disqualified from the beginning, and yet Jesus meets us where we are, who we are, no matter what we've done, and at some point He extends this invitation, and it's up to us to decide, am I going to jump in on this deal, or am I just going to live my own life? We have just entered into the season of Lent. Lent is a season of fasting and repentance and prayer. It's kind of a season of intensity leading up to Easter. It kind of clears the deck and cleans out our hearts for entering into the story of the resurrection of Christ. It's a season of repentance and humility. It's a time of getting honest with ourselves and honest with God. Well, Peter is the perfect person to walk with during this time. In his own story, we see our stories. When he fails Jesus, hopefully we see the ways that we have failed Jesus. 
When Peter is not paying attention, when he is messing up, hopefully we can see some of our own mess-ups as well. In the midst of all of our insecurities and fears, like Peter, we can boldly run into the presence of Christ. We don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to have it all put together. We don't have to have the perfect resume before we can come into God's presence. He wants us just to boldly come because we believe in Him and we trust in His goodness. Those fears and failures do not disqualify us from following Him. Today's text from Luke chapter 5 tells of one of Jesus' earliest encounters with Simon Peter. He and Peter had previously met during the time of John the Baptist's ministry, but this particular day would be a day that Peter would never forget. It would be the beginning of a journey, a journey whose destination Peter would never have imagined or predicted, a journey that he never would have felt qualified by his own merits to be upon. This would be the day that changes his life forever, the day that Jesus invites him to come along and follow me. But before we get to that point in the story, let's back up to the beginning. There are things that need to happen before Peter is willing to buy in to this Jesus guy. In fact, there's somewhat a pattern going on that I think a lot of us can relate to. Peter is cleaning his nets after a night of frustration. They had fished all night long and they had caught nothing. Even the best of fishermen, I suppose, I wouldn't know, but the best of fishermen don't catch fish sometimes. Putting myself in Peter's shoes, if I were him, I would be a grumpy man if I fished all night and caught nothing, if it was my very livelihood, if this was what I was an expert at and I still could not catch the fish. I would be hungry. I would be sleepy. I would want to go, to go home and go to bed. And yet here Peter is at the end of a long night cleaning his nets. Frustration. We all know what frustration feels like, don't we? The events of the last year has probably given rise to a lot of frustration. Some of us have felt a little too cooped up, maybe a little too covered up, these masks on our face. Maybe this last week was frustrating for some of you. I know our friends and family members and the other parts of the state probably experienced a lot more frustration than those of us here in good old Lubbock, Texas. Whether it's the pandemic or weather or politics or whatever, it probably doesn't take too much effort for any of us to go back and think about the last time we were frustrated. Well, Peter's frustrated. And nobody likes to be frustrated. But God's going to use this frustration. God's laying the groundwork here. God's setting Peter up. He's got a plan, and he's going to use this. You know, it's kind of hard to think about sometimes, but is it possible that our own frustrations might be a part of a larger plan? That somehow yours and my frustrations we experience, that, that God wants to use those, and the degree that, that we experience that might be the degree to which He wants to overwhelm us with His grace. Maybe in the midst of your frustration, God is preparing your heart 
Maybe He is doing something in you, whether you realize it or not. Envision this with me. Here's Peter cleaning his nets. And Jesus walks up to him and says, Hey, Peter, I need to borrow your boat. I want to use it as a, a podium, a platform to stand on while I teach the crowd that's coming out here to follow me. Peter, of course, allows this to happen. Kind of in the same way, we all have a boat. Every one of us. Our boat represents our security. It represents our livelihood. It may represent the reputation that we have built up in the community. Our boat represents the things that provide for us. In the same way, sometimes Jesus wants to borrow our boat. He may want our stuff. He may want some of our time. He may not fit perfectly in our calendar that we tend to manage. He may want things that would inconvenience us. Hey, Peter, I need to borrow your boat. Peter puts the boat out from the shore a bit, and of course, Peter in the boat has a front row seat to Jesus' teaching. If this was me being up all night, I would be tempted to fall asleep. But everybody's got his eyes in Jesus' and Peter's direction. He can't even doze off. And then after Jesus teaches, he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, let's put out in the deeper water. Let out our nets for a catch. Let's go a little deeper. I can imagine what Peter is thinking in his head. Seriously, Jesus? What do you know about fishing? You don't cast nets in the middle of the day. You cast nets at night so the fish don't see the net. We've toiled all night long, and now it's daytime. You think the fish just magically are going to come out? This moment is a decision point for Peter. He can either just abide by Jesus' words or he can exercise his boundaries and say, Sorry, Jesus, the nets are cleaned. We have closed up shop for the day. We'll have to go fishing another time. Peter says, If you say so. Put out into the deep. Maybe Jesus is calling us to a deeper life. The season of Lent is about examining ourselves. Is he calling us to go deeper in prayer? Is he calling us to go deeper in mission and in service? Is he calling us to go deeper in our reading of the Scriptures, deeper in our love for others, deeper in the way that we relate to our family members or our neighbors or our coworkers? A deeper devotion of heart put out into the deep. I wonder what deep waters Jesus is calling you to in this season. Peter, already knowing he is in the presence of greatness, and perhaps out of just mere compliance and not wishing to cause a scene, is like, all right, Jesus, I'll entertain you. We'll take you out for a little ride. And the rest, they say, 
is history. The nets begin to fill. Peter and his partners, James and John, cannot believe their eyes. The nets are loaded with fish, overloaded with fish. After dragging that stupid net around the Sea of Galilee all night long on the first drag, they get more than they can handle. The abundance of overflowing fish is a metaphor for the abundance of overflowing grace of God. God's grace, His goodness, His provision is manifested in these fish. Somehow they managed to get the fish to the shore. The nets are even broken in certain places because there were so many fish. It's the biggest catch of their lives. Never before and probably never again will they see anything like it. And at this moment, all that frustration turns into release. Have you ever been mad about something? And then something happened that just changed it in a moment. And the degree to which you were frustrated is the degree to which you are surrendered or compassionate or understanding. Peter comes and he says to Jesus, bowing down before him, Lord, depart from me. I am a sinful man. You know, we live in a world where people at least public figures, don't really confess that they are sinful people. The system is, is rigged so that people can't do that. It's a liability to say, I've messed up. We live in a world where what is modeled out there for us is self-justification. But in this world right here, where we gather around these elements and break the bread and remember the body and the blood of the one who gave his life for us. Confession is our primary mode of operation. Confession is necessary in this room and among these people. I am a sinful man. You know, in this season of Lent, sometimes Lent kind of feels like let's just beat ourselves up. Man, I stink. I'm a loser. I'm pathetic. I don't know if you ever hear those voices in your head, but that's not really where God's coming from here. I'm sure Jesus could have said, you know what, Peter, you're a sinful dude. And he could have done that, and he would have been right. But that's not really what captures Peter. It's not, it's not that someone's focusing on Peter's sinfulness as much as it is focusing on God's greatness. When you get in touch with the greatness and the glory of God, it's not very long until you realize, okay, I don't deserve to be in the room here. Think of Isaiah when he has this vision. He's in the temple, and God is in the temple, and there are angels, and there's smoke in the temple, and the angels have their eyes covered, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy. What's Isaiah's first thought after realizing he's in the greatness of God? Woe is me. For I am an unclean man, and I live among an unclean people. See, Lent's not about beating ourselves up. It's about catching a glimpse of who God really is. The same Jesus that brought all those fish into the net is the same Jesus that showed up that morning. And yet Peter sees him in a different light. 
How do you see Jesus? Do you see him in such a way that causes you to say, Oh God, I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful woman. I don't deserve to be in your presence. It's not a bad posture to have. And it's only at this point that Peter is ready. God has been setting him up the whole time, and now he's about to knock him down in a good way. Jesus says, do not be afraid. From now on, you're going to be catching people. Come along with me. We all need to hear this invitation. This invitation to follow Jesus. It's not enough to be a Christian. We must be followers. People who are moving. People who are going. People who are changing. People who might be doing different things today than we were yesterday. People who might be doing different things in a year than we were last year. We're not just bringing Jesus along the ride for our life. We're jumping on board with where He is going. Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, these two sets of brothers, end up leaving those boats in the dust. They leave them behind to follow Jesus. Those boats that are so precious, those boats that represent their livelihood, their financial means, their business, not just their business, but the family business. Somewhere in the midst of it all, those boats really don't compare to the value of this invitation. When we really hear Jesus inviting us, when it's that compelling and that good, we will find ourselves letting things go. You know, have you ever wondered in this story what they do with all the fish? What do they do with all those fish? Just catch and release? I have two theories about the fish. Theory one, they have a really big fish fry that night in town. Feed the whole town. Every person who came out, fish fry. Theory two, they sell the fish Give the proceeds to Zebedee, the father of James and John, so that now that his sons are going off to follow Jesus, he's not left financially high and dry. Whatever it is, I can only imagine those fish were a blessing to somebody. Who knows? What we do know is that when God breaks into a person's life, leaving behind things are easier. What is God calling you to leave behind? Have you experienced Jesus in such a way that you're willing to leave behind your home, your financial security, your control, your reputation, your schedule, your comfort? We like those things, don't we? I like those things. The only thing that would make me give that up is if I love something else greater. Someone came and could compel me that it was worth it to set out on the journey. 
So if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, not just a Christian, but a follower, then maybe you need to hear that call again. This wasn't the first time Jesus would say, hey, come along for the ride. There's later on in the story, he's like, Peter, hey, buddy, follow me. Or maybe you've never really said to Jesus, I do want to follow you. Maybe you, you know, whether you've never done that or you've done that 20 times, maybe God's just calling you right now. Maybe he's just tugging on you and pulling on you in a deep place in your soul. Saying, I want you to come along with me for a ride. You tired of doing the same old things day in and day out, living for yourself? Come along with me. There are things that I will show you that are you would have never asked, thought, or imagined. My friends, I want to invite us today to consider what it sounds like to hear that call from Christ. And what does that look like for you to say yes?